Hey, thanks for listening, for subscribing, downloading, all that good stuff. It's so good to have you connected. I'm Deanna. This week, we're looking at something that needs to be looked at. The Syrian refugee crisis remains the largest in the world. Not so long ago, air officials met in Brussels to discuss how to raise the billions needed for relief and reconstruction. It's estimated the crisis is going to cost around $6 billion US dollars. But more important than any financial figure is each individual man, woman and child forever affected by these events. June 20th is World Refugee Day, where the strength, courage and perseverance of millions of refugees will be commemorated. And this year, World Refugee Day also marks a key moment to show support for families forced to flee. So today we're hearing from a woman whose story is tough to discuss in places. For safety reasons, you may find that specifics about what atrocities are experienced by families that would require them to flee their homes can't actually be described in detail. But I do think it's an important story to tell, and this is a particular story that hasn't been told before. So I encourage you to keep listening all the same. Evie Corridan is the creative director at Life Worship. Now based in Bradford in England, Evie Corridan is the creative director at Life Worship. The daughter of a pastor, her family were forced to flee Iran when Evie was just a child. They spent time in Turkey before a caring Christian couple aided their relocation to Denmark, where Evie's family were able to settle and make a home for themselves. So what's it like when your family becomes refugees? This is Evie's story, and it's one she hasn't told before. So I'm Evie Corridan and um, I'm the creative pastor here at Life Church and the worship leader and part of the team um, with Life Worship um, here in our home campus in Bradford. Um, moved here four and a half years ago from Denmark and uh, yeah, before that from, yeah, been other places. Um, yeah, that's me. Well, let's talk about the other places. Yeah. So you are Danish. Would you consider yourself Danish? Yes. So my nationality is Danish now. Um, but how did you end up in Denmark? Yeah, I was born in Iran, um, Tehran, um, in a, a Syrian family. So we have our own language, our own heritage, and um, also just a Christian um, cultural heritage. Um, and when I was seven years old, we um, had to flee the country. Um, and yeah, my dad was a minister and um, just very involved and grew up in church. And at, at some point it just became um, too dangerous to actually stay there. And, and yeah, so we had to move. You say you had to move. Mm. I mean, paint a picture of when you say it's too dangerous and your father was a pastor, like what prompted your parents to to basically literally flee the country? Like as someone like me who's never actually seen that firsthand, mm. when people say, oh, it was too dangerous to stay, mm. like what does that mean for your family? Um, I mean, it's hard to put um, specific um, words to it because the danger is still there because um, sometimes your Christian faith and especially if, if you're active and sharing it with others um, can be irreconcilable with with um, you know the the what's going on in the country and and Iran is a um, is is governed with a priesthood and 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 a Muslim country so at, at one point it just couldn't um, yeah couldn't reconcile the lifestyle we had with with what was law and and allowed in that country so um most of our relatives all um, emigrated to America years years before that. But yeah, my parents just always felt a, a calling to stay until this point. So I was seven years old and my brother was three, no, f- two. 
and um, yeah, we had to move. Do you remember what, or you may have heard stories of what Christian persecution looked like in your country? Yes, so I remember stories from when I was a child even of um, my dad's pastor friends or other Christians, um, even, um, you know, my family going to a funeral of a pastor who was um, murdered um, and quite traumatic things for a child to, to, to hear, just, um, and but as as I've grown up, I've, I've become more curious and had more questions and, and wanting to hear more about what it looks like. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's real. I mean, I understand needing to protect the individuals mm. um, first and foremost. Yeah. But doesn't that stop us almost from properly describing and telling the stories mm. like how do we just how yeah. do we tell people about an issue that we can't tell them about yeah that's the thing that's where it becomes hard with like mass media but if you know a refugee or even you know with my own what I know that it's it's around the dinner table and and in the living rooms that we can completely you know be be honest with what we've seen and what we've heard and 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 what we've experienced because there's still so much fear around in those countries so with having family there or or even christians there today you just don't want to say something that will get in you know anyone in trouble but at the same time um i think people need to know like it's still um a life and death issue um religion is still very a sensitive topic in in most countries in the world in the middle east especially um and part of our christian faith is 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 it's the DNA you want to share the good news you want to you want to tell about what God's done for you but that's where it becomes illegal in those countries and and that's where it became too much for my dad and my my parents and where they had to make a decision to to leave so one day you were about 6 or 7 years old mm-hmm. and your dad came home yeah a pastor mm. and just said what this is it what happened so yeah i i remember it as it it was literally from one week to the other we had to we had to go and um so we had a is it called a pawn pawn you know the a person that comes to your house and puts a price on everything oh really buys it all kind really? of really yeah yeah um um so yeah that person came and looked at our furniture and we got some kind of cash out of that just and we sold everything there and then yeah yeah and and packed our, our luggages um two each and um just went on i remember as a child it felt like we were going on holiday that's how it's kind of explained it to me and i knew the rest of my relatives were in america so i thought oh we might be you know maybe we're going there like they all did um but first of all it was to a to a neighboring country because we didn't have visas we didn't have you know, paperwork done because it was so sudden. So, um, so it was like a holiday to, can you yeah. say where you went? Yeah. So we went to Turkey, um, because that was just an easy route. And, um, so there, I don't think they knew what the next move was. It was just to get out of the country basically. And then you were in Turkey. Yeah. So, um, we were there around eight, nine months. And during this time, what were um, you doing for eight or nine months in Turkey? I know later on uh, when I've tried to think about what was I actually doing as a seven-year-old and so we we lived in a hotel a couple of weeks or months um and then we actually got an apartment because it seemed to have been become a a longer stay um and I remembering now it's like uh, I actually didn't go to school in that time um and I remember um one of my favorite 
parts of, of the day was just going to the markets and shopping with my mom. Um, it becomes a bit sensitive because it's still, um, looking back as an adult, um, you still feel the the pain for, for that child because um, I should have been in school. I should have been making friendships in that age and, and having birthday parties and but sorry it's fine and you're a parent now yourself yeah exactly especially when you're reliving all that and everything you want for your five-year-old seven-year-old it's like it looks so different for someone that's on on the run and yeah my favorite parts of the day was the markets and I love I've always loved languages so learn to speak Turkish in those months was um was one of the highlights I remember I remember it was a great time as a family we were tight and 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 it felt like an adventure still like we would go out and explore the city we'd had um, my grandparents came to visit once during that time um so there's great memories in between but when you compare it to someone you know in, in a western world a child and what you know what it should have looked like it's definitely not what you want for your own child no, the stability wasn't there the options weren't there for no. you to go to school and settle even and it must Just have normality been, yeah yeah that's been really hard for your parents to be in a foreign country foreign language mm. limited amount of very limited amount of money mm. no income yeah and they're not sure because obviously turkey was like a it was supposed to be a short term this yeah. gets us out of the country within a week exactly so it's almost like a well what they're obviously they must have been trying to then move on to another place right yeah absolutely but still um obviously at that point i i, I wasn't involved in those um, worries or conversations but it was still a time i remember and we were still very involved with finding a church and and you know helping other people um in that season met another um Iranian family actually that was also fleeing and and sharing our faith with them and sharing our time and our and our life with them in in that season and I'm just so grateful that they never um you know stopped doing what they knew uh, to do just you know love God and and love people and keep hope um so those are some of the great memories that actually they they use that time still to to reach out and and be in in the house of god and 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 yeah the worship and word were still a part of our family and that's also a part of a part of it and a part of who you are now as a singer and a songwriter and yeah. a creative director okay so how what what was the next for your family what was the next chapter like that got you yeah. to denmark so yeah as i said um the rest of our our family and and both sides are in America. So obviously we had phone conversations with them and, and, and they were really worried about us and, and really trying to get us to America. But um, it was just not working out. Paperwork and stuff like that was just not as, as doable, as quick. Um, so what happened was in America, um, in a Syrian church up uh, over there, um, they just mentioned from the platform, hey, remember to pray for um, Pastor... Um, so and so and his family they're stuck in Turkey um, so just pray for their safety and this and that um, and someone in America in that church told you know their friend or sister I can't remember which was a, a lady that my dad had um, I think youth pastored in, in Iran so she knew him from back then and, and 
so this American person telling this Danish lady now um, about our our situation, and, and, the, and the Danish lady was yeah. the lady who'd been your a youth in your dad's ministry. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, just yeah, far out. And and she tells her husband she's married in Denmark now as a Danish guy, who's. Um, she just tells him about the story and oh my gosh this family my old youth pastor he's stuck in turkey and 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 this guy just says we need to help them um so they you know very quickly get to turkey and come visit us um this couple and they and just fly to turkey from yeah, Denmark. yeah they just wanted to encourage us and 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 just help us out in any way they could and they managed to actually because because what we were were we were refugees we were political refugees and and they um helped us basically they were like you know bef- who knows maybe you'll go to america one day but why not come to denmark in the meantime why not um you know apply as refugees and and you'll be in safety at least and they basically helped us get to Denmark and, and they bought your tickets yeah they, they sorted all out for yep. the whole family yeah wow. completely yeah that was yeah looking back that's one of the massive gifts of God like that he would put that on someone's heart just blows me away I know it's it's his doing but that someone would be willing to listen to a whisper like that oh, it's just beautiful well they changed the they changed the direction of your whole family. Mm. And this is, you know, this is back in the day. This is before we had the internet where they yeah. could have easily contacted you. Yeah. So they just got in a plane, came out, sorted yeah. out your paperwork to Denmark. Yeah. Literally bought your flights. Yeah. And you just what? Or just got in a plane and got to Denmark? Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that quite vividly. Um, it was very cold <laughs> when we got there. And it was Denmark from Turkey, yes, freezing. Yeah. Yeah. So Nordic it countries. was one of the most, yeah, coldest winters, lots of snow. And got off the airplane. So basically, you go to this um, where everyone else normally comes in from travels and goes home. Um, you go to this special door with the police, and you actually just say, "We want to apply as refugees." And then there's this waiting room, which um, you basically wait, <laughs> and um, each person. This was how it was back then, like maybe 20 years ago. Um, each you know adult gives their story and their case and and they kind of have to cross cross um what do you what do you call it interview and and check the di- facts and the stories and the case so it's not like made up um so it was hours and hours in that waiting room um it was lovely like back then actually um they're way better um standards or what do you say for for refugees so it was it was all right, and then um, basically after that they took us to this um, temporary refugee center, um, which from there we were transferred to another refugee center. But basically we were 22 months in refugee centers before we got our permit to stay. I think. Mm. So, as a young woman, as mm. a young girl, mm. born in Iran, um, from a very 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 different country. I mean. I mean, as you know, I grew up myself almost yeah. in Copenhagen, lived there for 10 years. So I know mm. firsthand that there are a lot of people from your part of the world mm. who come to Denmark as refugees. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come from African nations for mm. better study opportunities. So yeah. it's a country that's almost very welcoming mm. of people from all over. So what was it like for you as, as a political refugee growing yeah. up in a very Western Scandinavian country? Um, well, first of all, it's quite interesting because there's where the first time I ever met um, anyone from Africa or you know 
I'd never seen a completely blonde person before. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, there's a lot of very blonde, blue-eyed people I know, walking around. Yeah, so just stuff like that was like, wow, um, you look like my Barbie. <laughs> and, um, and, and just meeting people from other cultures and other, other you know, foods and smells. And there's just so much um, diversity that actually wasn't there in, the, in, in Iran so it's a bit of a culture shock. And then, because in the refugee centers, you ha- you are in a little bubble. Um, it's a bit more expensive to actually take transport into the city or, or go out and do things. So you don't do it much. You're basically in the center a lot of the times. And that's where you just meet people from all over the world and all kinds of cultures and languages and value systems. And so it's a bit of a shock. Um, as Even as a child, you kind of understand wow, we're very different and, and where have we all landed and is this what the rest of Denmark looks like? And um, I was just really privileged that I was invited to a children's Christian camp while we were during that time in, in the in the centre and actually I came out and saw a, a very different Denmark or like um, than, than what I'd seen for the first um, amount of time and and just coming home to like all all the hymns and the singing it was like a like an anglican kind of camp it was just really lovely and it gave me a little oh okay this is this is interesting there's other parts of denmark and i i was interested in exploring the culture the language so after that season in the in the refugee center um i've just always loved school it was i just couldn't wait to get to real school and 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 have like normal classes and 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 learn languages and in that sense, I just got plugged in very quickly and made friends and learned the language quite quickly. And, and I think, as yeah, my personality just thrives in, in challenges like that, and I loved it. Um, but it was a lot harder for my parents because um, obviously you don't learn as fast. And and actually, they just my dad especially just wanted to crack on and, and make money and provide for his family. So sometimes um, you just didn't get a chance to learn the language as quick or go to school because um, he couldn't use his education there. So for them, it was way more challenging. As but but for me as a child, um, I, I thrived. Um, and especially when then I was around thirteen when I found a church where. Because all throughout my life, um, my faith has always been a part, like God's always been a part of my journey. But finding faith for myself was when I was 13. And that brought a whole new um, dimension and, and perspective and, and, and feeling and sense of belonging when, when I found a church um, when I was 13. Yeah, I know you were very young mm. when you lived in Iran, but... And even moving to Turkey, obviously Denmark is a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Well, I say obviously, maybe people don't know that. Denmark's a Christian nation, as mm. is the UK where we are now. Mm. Even as a young person, mm-hmm. did you feel a difference in the freedom of religion that you didn't have in your home country um, or the one that you'd spent such a, mm. a limited amount of time in where religion and faith was much more sensitive now you live in a country where you can be a christian but you can Mm. also be of other faiths and it's fine yeah absolutely just the freedom of speech and and the freedom in public spaces um to wear what you want and to speak and act like you want um to share your faith if you want um it was things that um we weren't used to at all and i think it was it was a real gift of of that that freedom like actually i can 
tell my friends in school what I've done this Sunday and I can actually um, invite a friend if I want or was it a secret before yeah absolutely I think growing up you always were conscious about what you say where um especially obviously you have to wear um head scarf and stuff like that to cover your hair even in public spaces even though like my parents would explain like it's not you know it's not our custom or faith but it's what we do because it's the law of the land but there was always a sense of hiding a sense of um you know being careful and 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 especially with like I said the stories you would hear in in adult conversations about that pastor or that church or 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 some of the unsafe um circumstances that you lived under what about fear Mm. was there an absence of fear was fear a big factor in your life before you um made it into Denmark yeah yeah absolutely I think even just I think there's still some of it now even in this interview like knowing it's going to be on radio like um and and you hear so many stories like I remember speaking to our family in America on the phone and you know my parents making a gesture of careful what you say now or stuff like that because who knows who's listening or if someone's monitoring this conversation um so you're constantly thinking about um you know am I going to say something that's offending someone is this story um going to be you know cause trouble or or um so it's almost a way now Mm. that not just you but anyone who's from a family like yours Mm. you're literally trained from the moment that you are crawling around Mm -hmm. um in a certain way of watching what you say Mm. yeah absolutely the fear of being found out and others being hurt i mean that's a lot of responsibility Mm. to put on a young child let alone a woman i mean you and your husband have two children but i still think that's a lot of responsibility even for you to carry now yeah it is and and in one sense it's it's just the way you know we live in a in a broken world and there's you know there's definitely a lot more going on than what we know about um like i don't want to be um conspiracy whatever focused and there's people listening to this and that but I, i do think there's more going on than what we know about and and i just want to be yeah, yeah, I want to be careful. It's a reality. Mm. It's a reality of where you're from. Mm. It's just things that I guess that someone from my my walk of life takes for granted that mm. you can kind of say what you want yeah. to an extent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're not. I'm not in fear of somebody that I back home mm. whose life I know might be in danger because exactly. of what a, what I might say by accident. Mm-hmm. Let us talk a little bit about what you think or what you feel mm. when you see some of the really harsh images in the news, in the paper, mm. the last couple of years, the, yeah. the refugee crisis mm. has become more and more of an issue and it will for mm. years to come be the big thing we need to deal with, yeah. so I'm told. Yeah. What goes through your mind when you see some of those really harsh images of people trying to flee their countries or even, I mean, it's horrible for anyone, but that little boy who washed up on the shore trying to flee his nation. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can definitely relate to images like that more than a lot of people maybe and especially after becoming a mom myself but even you know sometimes seeing pictures from Syria or or you know that part of the world where where that could have been me like I, I looked like that and and that girl with the curls it, that could have been me and um it moves me and it and it grips me in another way than because it, it literally could have been me like 10 15 years 20 years ago um but I think when I, whenever I hear um, just uh, something, you know, a cynical spirit about all that, I get, 
I get really frustrated because because it's like we put refugees in this one big box and and like anyone that's a criminal gets in, put into that box and anyone that's you know maybe a bit greedy wanting to you know someone from another country that just wants you know to live in a nicer country they get put into that box but it's like no a refugee means somebody that's actually fleeing something you know it's life and death and and um and i think i think there's a lack of empathy i think there's a lack of interest in in, in those people's stories and and in in even the country's stories and and history and just getting a bit more awareness about what is it that's causing you know someone with a baby or a child in a boat they wouldn't just do that like what is it that make that makes them do that and what is it they're fleeing from and what are they hoping to get out of it and how can i by you know getting involved with a little bit of interest um help change that you know discourse and even just from the people that are in our countries now um in the western world like um getting involved and asking the questions and because i think the bad statistics and the bad stories come when no one gets involved and when when people are left to their pain and trauma and to to their yeah what they've come from that they bring that into this you know new setting but they don't get not just help and i'm not talking about money and you know luxurious gifts and and a lifestyle but a human being actually listening hearing your story and 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 helping you um interpret this new country you've come to and and helping you move on so you don't bring that trauma it doesn't become you know a criminal record it doesn't become a, a mental illness it doesn't become something that will stop you know the gen- generations to come so yeah i have a lot of thoughts and feelings and and perspectives on it when i hear the news or even meet someone and they're still like i've i've tried to work on you know my own journey and my story and and work through some of the trauma that I've experienced but even to this day when I meet like a five or seven year old that is in that situation I immediately I'm I feel their you know what what shoes they must be walking and I feel their pain their their questions and their and even more so now as an adult because I understand exactly what their situation is that they might not even understand yet and I just think I, I wish some of that empathy is because I've been through it um, and some of it is just because I hope I, I never um, you know work my way out of it because that's where um, that's where we know we're human that's where you know we're brothers and sisters and we're called to be each other's keepers and just like that family in, in Denmark came to help us I think we're called to help others and and pay their tickets and, and drive them to church and invite them over and but you can't do that unless you actually feel someone's pain and unless you actually feel gripped by their story and by what they're going through. So how does it make you feel when you hear, for example, a person who's obviously been raised in Britain mm-hmm. um, complain about mm. foreigners coming in, taking jobs or whatever the, whatever the complaint is, but there can be that very quick to complain yeah. we're letting too many people in yeah. view in mm-hmm. the country that we live in but obviously you like you mentioned just there and from your own life experience it's life and death mm-hmm. it's not like you're just you literally need a new place and you're willing to work and be a part of a community so yeah. how does that make you feel yeah i think hearing someone 
that's from that kind of mindset it's like they've already decided that the person coming is is greedy is here to steal and and to take the job from someone else instead of looking at it as uh, that person can actually add value to the society that person can actually add value in the form of their culture their their upbringing like um especially you know people from my side of the world are some of the most hospitable heartwarming um you know very diligent and disciplined and and very you know highly educated um it can really add value and if you look at a human being like that it's like they're bound to to you know to do that but if you look at them as you know someone you're you know what are you here for and are you going to steal you know our jobs or or you know are you going to steal our air or space it's like already there's a hostility there's a divisive kind of society that that you're building where i just want to i think even i would understand it if if there's a bit more gratefulness like nobody chose where to, where in the world they would be born and and as as someone that's born in england or denmark or any western country i think it would be nice to hear a bit more gratefulness like actually i'm privileged to have had this kind of upbringing and this kind of school education system um i'm privileged that i was born in this family or in this time and this this country and 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 how can i help you know others add to that and build that so it gets stronger and stronger instead of um this is my my ancestors built this and and you should stay away it's like no i think a gratefulness breeds like generosity and you want to keep adding to that um you know to that society then rather than almost looking at it as 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 if the resources are are just going to get fewer and fewer no we can actually add to that together yeah so how how do you think we can um i love your view on the fact that we should all have more empathy mm. and it's maybe not a word that's on the tip of our tongue most of the time mm. we talk about compassion mm-hmm. which isn't you know too different but how can we be people that adopt a spirit of empathy and be more mindful of maybe walking a few... We haven't walked a mile on that person's shoes or even mm-hmm. a few steps, so let's not be so quick to judge and actually yeah. help. I think a lot of the time when it comes to refugees in mm-hmm. our nation, a lot of the time it's like, but what can I do? How can I help? I don't yeah. understand their issue. Yeah, I think as a friend or someone that's interested or maybe you meet someone in your local church or, or your local community center or at the doctor's office um, waiting room... Um, it can get over- overwhelming hearing people's stories because sometimes, like in this interview, there'll be tears involved, there'll be some trauma involved, and and um, it can almost be like, oh gosh, I should I shouldn't have asked that, or or I've stepped on something too sensitive, or but actually, just looking at it more like valuing that person's trust and honesty, and and thanks for sharing with me, having that kind of response because because it's real and it's a family story it's a family's pain story or or it's it's just bigger than just this conversation so valuing that and anytime really you speak to anyone with with a story that's a bit more sensitive you want to respond with a thanks for sharing actually for giving me this insight and perspective that I didn't have before and then just that I think in my situation it's just helped so much to have friends or conversations where someone actually is interested and and says and and values the fact you know the time spent speaking about this and then um that just brings so much healing and it brings trust and it brings um just a you know 
a reaction that says that wasn't okay, like that wasn't okay that you went through that, that was that's not okay that there's kids going through that today, and and that common agreement on, um, you know, that's not what we want for our kids. That's not what we want for anyone in the world. That just brings a bit of, uh, you know, thank you. Like that brings some comfort. That brings some some common ground. And so I don't think like you need to do. As, you know, you know. Sometimes it's not like, oh, go buy them something or, or give them a house, or it's just that human, you know, understanding and and, and comfort as well. Yeah, yeah, respect for someone's story, and um, that does a lot. I think, um, and I think that's where people with stories like that they they need that kind of healing and and comfort and and hey, you've you've arrived somewhere safe now. Thanks for sharing your story and. And, and you're safe now and, and you're safe with me whether it's a stranger in the doctor's office or a, a new friend at church or whatever that feeling of oh, I've come somewhere where someone actually gets you know the pain not gets but but is interested to listen to some of the pain I've been through it's not you know written off it's not something all right get on with it go find a job it's it's you acknowledge it and then together yeah let's move on and do normal things like you know have dinners together and explore each other's cultures and seeing each other as as equals where a lot of the you know discourse in Denmark and and here is a lot of about integration how to like almost like as refugees you're, and as as foreigners you're supposed to submit to a to the this is the law and the culture of this land but actually you know especially in these days in such an international you know globalized setting we you know we eat sushi we eat thai every day like it's like no there's a common ground there's an equal understanding and value we need to give to each other's cultures so it's not just you know learn our language eat our food wear our clothes but it's it's a common interest and in, ah tell me about this and tell me about this dish and tell me about your childhood and what did you used to play with and this and that i think that should just be the norm and so sometimes i think we can be a part of you know each other's healing and 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 you know full circle stories when we when we dare ask questions and when we dare dig deeper a bit more than the usual everyday conversations yeah thank you very much you're welcome thanks for having me My thanks to Eby Corridan for speaking with me today. She's a songwriter and creative director at Life Worship, the creative arts ministry of Life Church, a multi-site congregation based in Bradford with campuses as well in Leeds, Belfast and Warsaw. Their new live album, Speak to the Storm, features 12 brand new worship anthems, providing a musical snapshot of the teaching, spiritual formation and community that's found at Life Church. The new record is out now. That's it from me. Until next time, thanks for listening.